0: Me Talks Podcast. I'm your host, David Petro. On this show, we give previews of the OME members-only webinars, and this month is our last regular episode of this season. We're featuring Heather Boychuk and Lance Patry, who will be talking about thin slicing of questions in the math classroom. So let's get right to it and hear what they have to say. Okay, so uh, I am talking with Heather Boychuk and Lance Patry. Uh, Heather and Lance, how are you doing? Great. Very good, thank you. I wonder if you guys could tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are and how you're all connected to math.
1: So I'm currently teaching LaSalle Secondary School. I'm also the program leader there, and I'm lucky to have a couple of those nice d streamed grade nine classes. I consider myself a lifelong learner and someone who likes to try new ideas and also to foster professional growth.
2: Okay, and uh, yeah, my name is Lance Patry. I'm a mathematics educator at LaSalle Secondary School in Sudbury. Uh, I consider myself a big stats geek, especially when it comes to uh, sports, which lends itself well to teaching uh, the data management course, uh, which Heather has graciously allowed me to teach. <laughs> uh, and I currently teach the 11-year functions, 12-college math, and 10-applied uh, math this semester.
0: So, have you taught together uh, for some time at Lasalle uh, Secondary?
2: Yeah, Heather's been there for a really long time. I've been there since uh, the fall of twenty eighteen, and Heather's been yeah my
0: department program leader uh, since then, and the best. Aww. I've got to say. <laughs> so, I always ask my I always ask my guests how they first either heard of or got involved with uh, OME. So, I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about that.
1: So, like, I'm really old, and I've been involved with OME since the year two thousand. I first started off as a member of Noma, and then I became a chapter rep and a director, and I was president of the local chapter for a number of years. And one of the things I'm super proud about is our—we hosted the Math Olympics in two thousand and five, which was a pretty big feat for our tiny little chapter. And uh, you know, I've been worked working with OME on joint projects like Tips for Our M long time ago. I was a presenter for the leadership conference in 2007, but the main thing I think OAME oh, has done for me is it's given me an opportunity to learn for myself, but also to share that with colleagues. And that's how Lance and I came to do this. I always like to bring somebody to be present with me at conferences. And that's kind of my way to get to go to the conference, but also to, to get people involved.
2: Yeah, and with myself, I first heard of OME back in the fall of 2008, when I was in Teachers College. Uh, my project for that year was to create a presentation that I would end up presenting at that spring's OME conference. And the presentation ended up being on how to effectively teach math in uh, primary, junior, and intermediate levels using the SmartBoard. And then there was a long 15-year gap between that first OME conference and my next one, which just happened to be this spring in Toronto. I had gotten hired permanent about six years in uh, to teaching, so after that 2009 conference. And uh, my first opportunity in 2015 ended up being uh, cancelled because of the, uh, t- the teacher strike that, uh, that year. And then, uh, yeah, it wasn't until spring of 2023 uh, for the Toronto one that Heather and I uh, presented on the concept of uh, thin slicing in the math co- uh, classroom, which we'll talk about more today
0: right that's exactly why, why we're here today to sort of give a preview of our upcoming webinar on uh the slice is right uh your session on thin slicing so i think that's a, a really great uh segue for us to to let you talk a little bit about what uh what your session is going to be about yeah so i'll start with this one here uh it was around this time
2: last year actually that uh Heather kind of put out an email to all of the teachers in the math department at LaSalle if if anybody had an idea that they'd be, uh, you know, interested in exploring and presenting on um, at the OAME conference. And so I went to go see Heather and I kind of let her know what I was thinking. One of the issues that uh, I was trying to find uh, solutions to was that uh, there's a large discrepancy in our classrooms normally between with students with the amount of time it takes to complete a task so whether it's an in class assignment uh, or homework started in class or general work periods you're going to have some students that are going to be done it very quickly and then they're like hey what do we do next and then you could give more but then you don't want to overwhelm students so it was how do we kind of tackle that uh, issue so i kind of i presented an idea to heather where i was looking at creating you know leveled questions where students could only advance to the next level of, uh, of questions or the next question if they were successful in their current one. So thinking more like a video game where, okay, if you're successful, you get to the next level and you know thinking of what motivates a lot of teenage uh, students. Uh, and then looking uh, for them to get instant feedback on their answers so they would know if they could advance to the next level, but how to give that feedback. So you're not giving the answer, but you're just telling them whether they got it right or not. And then if they know they didn't get it right, then to continue working at it. And then Heather said, "Well, yeah, that's actually kind of like that's th- thin slicing, uh, which I'd never heard of before. I thought it was a pretty cool name for it too." And then um, you know Heather went uh, went on to discuss with me what thin slicing was, right? Breaking down a mathematical concept, whether it's factoring, completing the square, and uh, you know progressing students through questions that not only increase in difficulty but build off of each other. Uh, and then one of the important parts is also having that easy entry point where all students are comfortable with, uh, that very first question that they can then build off of. Uh, Heather, if you wanted to kind of go from there.
1: Yeah, that's perfect, Lance. Yeah. So my, my own learning about this was through the building thinking classrooms and, um, Peter's idea about looking at variation theory and just changing one little thing to like have students progress to the next level. And we also talked about uh, strategies on how we can like let the students know how they're doing. So we we I I liked escape rooms, so I had experience with like using Google Forms to like get the answer. So if a student knows whether they can go to the next level or not, and away we went. We we start developing these different thin slicings through Google Forms, through different activities, and then we decided that we would we share these widely. Yeah.
2: One other thing I'll add too, as far as the benefits that uh, that thin slicing ends up giving you is one, students no matter what their uh, current level of understanding is or their um, their current abilities. Um, all students are being challenged and being pushed past their current levels of understanding. So whether a student is getting to question 10 and then hitting a wall and then getting some help to get past that, or another student getting to question 21 and and now getting to a point where they are now challenged and need to think a little more and and be pushed, um, it allows all students to to get past the current levels of understanding, and and also it helps fill gaps along the way. There's all often guided questions, the way we do it with uh, with Google Forms, or important information that is put uh, above certain questions, uh, and it kind of helps students fill gaps along the way of uh, of where they need to be, and um, and maybe where they are right now.
0: So I really like the idea of the the connection to you know sort of video game design as a way to you know you know reference how thin slicing works i mean that's always sort of the way that video games start off relatively easy with very very easy challenges and then they level up level up level up uh and the the players don't move on until they've mastered the particular level i think that's something that that uh, and i think that i always kind of reference that that's almost like swimming lessons as well uh where you know you never get you don't get to the next level of sw- swimming lessons until you've mastered the you know x checklist of things that you had to do you had to swim 50 meters or whatever it is and you can't if you can't do that you can't get to the next level and i think you know one of the one of the, i guess one of the issues that we have in math is that sometimes you know uh w- when we are moving kids forward in grades um it's often you know a, a kid who might get a 60% in a course could very well have gotten very very few of the questions correct and just survived on basically part marks and and I think the idea of thin slicing is a way for students to see that progress see that correctness and move forward at a pace that is is very very relevant to them
2: yeah yeah definitely
0: and with students, well, even it,
2: uh, if it's your um, you know higher achievers in a class, the hope is that they get to a point where they're also having to ask for help with a question, right? And be like, oh, I need a hint here. So it's not just, oh, I, you know, they're saying, I know everything. I'm just going to show you now. The purpose of it is also it's, it's assessment as learning, right? They are not only being assessed on it, but the goal is that they're pushing themselves further, not just showing what they know o- on top of. Uh, the fact that these students, you're letting them know, you do not. the goal is not to finish all these questions. Like, you're going to let them know the, the expectation is that nobody finishes all of them, that you have enough questions that everyone's going to reach a wall. Uh, and then that way, students aren't stressed out about, oh, I have to get all these questions done. I'm only on question eight, and there's only 20 minutes left or 10 minutes left. Uh, you're letting them know that it's it's all about getting to, you know, that whether we call it a wall or that question that is challenging enough where you can't kind of go
0: further without more you know remedial help or
2: uh, more practice
0: so I'm curious I'm curious about uh, you mentioned using Google Forms how does that come into play as you're doing these thin slicing thin slicing questions
2: yeah uh, so with Google Forms I, I talked to Heather about the potential of using Google Forms and having whether it's you get one question done, and then you you submit, and then go to the next page. Or how we would go about, you know, implementing these ideas, and how to get the instant feedback. Um, so with Google Forms, uh, it has a really nice feature called response validation. That we would have all the questions on one Google Form page, so the student would either type in their name, or their or their email would already be uh, automatically uh, registered on the Google Form when they start. Uh, you can add either pictures. Uh, normally, it could be even like screenshots of, of uh, you know questions or uh, ideas as well. And then when they work through the questions, when they type in their answer, if they click on the next question and their answer is wrong, underneath that answer, it'll come up in red, whatever message we want to send, like uh, whatever error message, whether it's try again or yeah, nice try or not quite, just letting them know that they got the question wrong. And then when they get it right, nothing shows up underneath their answer, which means they know, okay, that what I typed in um, is correct. And then go to the next question. Now, there's some challenges as far as um, what are possible correct answers that could be typed in a a wrong way. So you're looking at all the different ways that a student could type in. Let's just say it was uh, factoring um, binomials or factoring a simple trinomial and having x plus 3 in brackets and then x plus 5 as your answer. Well, what if a student puts pluses, or sorry, puts spaces between the plus and the number? Um, you want to have all those possibilities kind of put in, and then students aren't thinking they got the wrong answer when really they they got it right, and then they continue to move on each question and having that immediate feedback without giving them the answer.
1: I'm constantly looking for different variations on ways to do that self checking piece. So I recently discovered that you can do this, this self checking piece as well with, um, with the spreadsheets and it can do that same thing, you know, pop up a happy face if you got it correct. So you'll get to see some of our newer stuff that relates to that, uh, at our session.
0: Very nice. I know I've done a little bit of work on this, um, both in Desmos, uh, using some of the self-checking features there in Desmos Classroom. And then we've also done some stuff where we've done uh, physical sets of questions, and we've used, so kids would get a, a list of questions on a card, and the answers were written in UV ink. And then they use like a UV light pen to check the answers just as a sort of a fun way to check that too. So yeah, there's lots of ways to to do that self-checking. And I think the self-checking is really important because it helps keep the flow for students so that they can move forward.
1: Exactly. And when you make it fun and interesting for kids, they're going to buy in and stay connected to the problems longer.
0: So I'm wondering now, when you're setting up questions to make your thin slice a repertoire for a particular subject, uh, are you finding that there are some topics that are easier to do this for than others?
2: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. With, uh, with some topic, I mean, the challenge is one we'll take, uh, you know, completing the square, for example, um, the first challenge is okay. How, where do we start? What, what have they learned in the past that is going to relate to completing the square? So common factoring, right? Being able to factor out, uh, that leading coefficient. So, um, you want to have questions at the very beginning that deal with common factoring. And then even before common factoring, well, what skill would they need to common factor? And that's finding the greatest common factor between two numbers, right? So it really takes a while to create these the right way, right? To, uh, to kind of, and there is no 100% right way. It's that, you know, it's, it's your professional judgment on, on how you want to create these, uh, but you're kind of creating a roadmap of, of their entire, entire educational career as students so far uh, of how to link their prior knowledge to the current curriculum expectations. Uh, and then once you get there, once you get to those level four questions where if they get those right, okay, they, they're at, you know, the level four, then thinking about what post-level questions, post-level four questions would look like. So the ones that are above curriculum expectations for that grade. Um, So thinking about what the questions would be for one or two grade levels above uh, to push those students that are already at a level four uh, and and challenge them as well. Because the point is to challenge all students uh, during these activities.
0: Yeah, I think it's really important for students to, well to, to never uh, I think that's one of the the uh, the thinking classroom sort of motifs where uh, you're never quite done you know, there's always going to be an, a next question so like there's no point in trying to finish because you won't so now I'm cur- I'm curious what kind of I, I it sounds like you're gonna give us some examples to to look at uh, what grade level examples uh, have you done work with? I know I, Heather you talked about being in in uh, the the D streamed and and uh, but what else are we going to see there?
1: We've got some grade 9 questions. We've got a uh, grade 10, grade 11. I think Lance did you end up doing some of the probability stuff too or did you we hadn't gotten to that?
2: No, no, I haven't gotten to to that and and probability is one where it's it's not as linear as uh, some other topics because of the uh, endless possibilities, yeah. probability, <laughs> um, endless possibilities of what probability questions could look like, right?
1: Um, yeah.
2: But uh, uh, yeah, we have uh, we have ones on uh, you know common factoring, the equation of a line, uh, right angle trigonometry, solving. which you would see not only in your grade ten academic, but your grade ten applied in your grade eleven course, um, solving equations. Um,
1: exponentials, like, yeah. uh, like exponential laws, like multiplying, dividing an exponent to an exponent, those kind of ones that they're, they're natural ones that
2: work. Yeah. For and this. with, uh, with the Google form, uh, version of, of our thin slicing, cause we have uh, Google form versions and then, uh, thinking class, uh, thinking classroom versions where you're not on a computer, but with the Google form ones, uh there's two main ways that we can deliver these as well. You can actually deliver it as a lesson where you have either examples or information before questions and then a student tries one on their own. And then they kind of walk through it as a lesson. And then there's other ones where you would teach the lesson and then um, they would complete the uh, thin slice in Google form activity after the lesson has been taught. So there'd be less structure as far as, uh, you know, posted information before uh, questions.
0: Now, I'm curious, how have you found that students have uh, taken to this type of uh, activity in class?
2: Yeah, with the Google Forms,
0: they they
2: really seem to like it. It's motivating for them to see what level they can get to, and that was when I first presented the idea to Heather. I was thinking, okay, what, what motivates a lot of students? Uh, and the gamification of it, right, is, okay, what level can I get to? And, and um, knowing with a lot of students, if – they start with a question that is too challenging at the beginning they get discouraged they don't have the ability to i guess grow with the questions and and pick up these missing pieces as they're going so that they have the skills when they get to a a higher level question because there's a uh, an an easier uh, opening i guess to these questions or an easier entry point once students get going it's harder for them to stop, right? It's like some of them, it's 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 hard for them to get started when they have a harder first question. And then once they get going, that momentum builds and you see students that in with other traditional activities may, might have just kind of sat there and, and had to have a lot of prompts to get started are now kind of already in it.
0: And so how often would you run uh, thin-sliced questions in your classes? I think the ideal goal would be like... It, You wouldn't wanna do that with every
2: single topic because then I feel like it would lose a bit of its luster with the students. But once a week, once every two weeks would be the ideal goal. And it depends on what the topics are, right? There's certain topics that lend themselves better to thin slicing than than others. The ones where where there's a lot of prior um, learning that relates to that topic. Uh, is really good for thin slicing, whereas ones where a topic like parabolas, for example, where other than, you know, relating first differences uh, and second differences uh, as a tradition from, or as the transition from linear to quadratic, there's not as much of an earlier base with that. Whereas with solving equations or uh, factoring, there's a lot more prior knowledge that you can use to build up to those uh, higher level questions and have an easier entry point.
1: I find that um, I'm using a lot of thin slicing type ways of doing my classroom because I'm running Thinking Classroom all the time. However, I'm not using the our Google Forms as much. So that part of it keeps its luster as he mentioned earlier. So, you know, it's just that idea of gamification but finding the right tool at the right time Many of my lessons are, you know, a progression. It has that same feel of thin slicing, but it, it might not have that self-checking piece because it just can't.
2: Yeah, one other, uh, one other uh, bit of feedback that I've gotten from students as well. Some students don't like the, the time aspect, like whether, whether you give them 40 minutes or they always feel like, oh, I only have a certain amount of time, so I don't want to be penalized for not having enough time to complete them all. One thing is teachers that are administering these thin slicing questions, you always want to make, sh- make sure that you're giving students enough time to get to that level four if they can. You, you want to allow them an- enough time to hit that wall, not that, oh, they only got to this question. They could have gone further. They just weren't given enough time. So that's one challenge that's uh, often presented with, um, with these Google Form
0: uh, questions. Okay, so we look forward to getting more detail from you at our live OME Talks webinar session coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, Lance and Heather, uh, thanks for talking to us today. Yeah, Thanks for having us. And uh, we look forward to your session. Our pleasure. That was Heather Boychuk and Lance Patry talking about their upcoming webinar, The Slice is Right. That webinar is for OIMI members only on January 10th, and they can register at our MCIS registration site. This is the last regular episode for this season, but coming up we have some featured speaker previews for the upcoming OIMI 2024 conference in Kingston this May. So stay tuned for that, and in the meantime, stay safe.